Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're getting near the end of this letter, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. If you're getting used to your Bible, if you're using a hard copy, it's about a fourth of the way back. If you're using one of the black Bibles that we provide in the seat backs, then it's on page 933. And again, I want to invite you to follow along, put your own finger on the text, or follow along if you've got that in front of you. But this is sometimes called the chapter on the resurrection. 58 verses that really primarily talk about the importance of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus' resurrection and what that has to do with our own resurrection. And so as we talk about this subject today, we have been in this series called A Better Way. We've been learning how Paul shows the the Corinthians a better way to be his people in the world. And we want to learn together with them from this letter. So as we talk about this today, I'm going to cheat and read verse 12 uh, because it explains probably why he wrote uh, this particular chapter or this part of the letter. And here's what verse 12 says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, he's writing to Christians, people that have professed Christ, and he's saying this. So if you're following along in the message notes, here's the issue. Some say there's no resurrection of the dead. Some say there's no resurrection of the dead. No bodily resurrection, no resurrection of the body. We just saw in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, this was completely understandable if you lived in Corinth. If you've been raised all your life, you you didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. You didn't believe that there was, you know, something like that because you hated the body. The body was considered a prison. Many of the Greek philosophers said, I can't wait to get rid of this body. The only thing that matters is the soul. Christians come along and say, no, 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 we're whole people. God made the body. He, didn't, he wasn't wasting his time. It's not a prison. In fact, he has plans for our bodies to give us new bodies. We'll see that later in this chapter. But they had this view, and so for them it was disgusting. If you ever read Acts 17, where Paul went to another Greek city, Athens, Corinth was a Greek city, went to Athens, when he begins to proclaim the resurrection, some people laugh at him. They just go, are you kidding? This is a dumb message. I'm not interested in that, but they didn't understand at that time what he meant till later. So listen to what N.T. Wright says. We need to be clear about what the word resurrection itself meant for Paul and his hearers. It didn't mean life after death. It was never a general term for any and every belief about what might happen to people after they die. It meant very specifically that people already dead would be given new bodies, would return to an embodied life not completely unlike the one they had before. And so we're talking about the resurrection today, but specifically what Paul does is he builds this whole case of helping them understand why the resurrection is so important, Jesus' resurrection is so important, is that he takes them back to the gospel. And the first two verses of this chapter, you're going to see that he says, look, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. It's by this gospel that you're saved. And the reason I named the message title This Gospel is because I want to talk to you specifically today, especially as we think about the resurrection the next couple weeks after today, about this gospel. So as we think about this, notice 
if you're following along, Paul reminds them so they don't believe in vain. The reason he reminds them of this gospel is he says in verse two, so they don't believe in vain. What does it mean to believe in something, to believe in something in vain? It means that you end up no better off than when you started. So there's a way to say, I believe and not be changed. It can be fruitless. It can be hollow. It's a false belief but there's a way to believe where you trust that what God's saying is not only really true and you begin, but you also continue. Jesus said there's many people, they start out, they're all joyful about the message, but they quickly fall away as soon as trouble comes. They only got excited about the message at the beginning. They believed in vain. It didn't ultimately bear any fruit in their life. And so we want to be the kind of people that take these reminders to heart. Um, some of you I know have told me that you've heard this story before because you've even quoted it to me. But it is football season, so I thought I would just mention what came to my mind when I was studying this week. In July of 1961, the great head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, stood in front of his 38 players, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. They all thought, where is this going? And over the next few weeks that summer, during training camp, he took them back to the very first page of the playbook. And he made them walk through every page, practice blocking, tackling, running, handoffs, everything. And they noticed that this is kind of like we're professionals. But Vince Lombardi didn't miss a beat. He didn't want to assume that they had all the basics down. So he kept taking them back. In fact, one of the players, Max McGee, at one point when they were making their way through the playbook says, slow down, you're going too fast, coach. And uh, evidently he smiled, but he didn't stop. He wanted to remind them because, friends, when we don't remember, then it doesn't stay on the front burner, and it will not ultimately make a difference in our lives. So Paul says, I want to make sure I remind you so the gospel keeps making a difference in your life, this gospel. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then we're going to unpack 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11 before we take communion together. Now, Lord, I just confess to you, I need reminders. I forget. I sometimes even ignore your message. And so help us, Lord, to be people that not only keep the gospel on the front burner, but enlarge our understanding of the gospel so that we don't think it's just for other people. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna read verses one, and then I'm gonna ask you to read verse two. And uh, we're gonna talk about why, what, what are the ways that he reminds them and helps them remember this gospel? So here we go, uh, chapter uh, 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Let me just stop and say this. Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth. Somewhere along that line, uh, that during that time, a bunch of the people he's writing to now had not only heard him teach this, but they had received it. They'd taken it personally into their lives and they had begun to build their lives on this gospel that he preached to them. So he reminds, he takes them back. Remember, remember this. And then he goes on and we have verse two. I've listed it in that first grade box in the message notes. Would you read it out loud with me, full voice? By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
And now what he's going to do is he's going to go on and show them in verses 3 and following, again, what he wants them to remember. So here's what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you. Do you hear the handoff in that? If you've ever seen a relay race, you know how powerful it is that the baton gets successfully into the hand of the next runner. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believe. And what Paul does here. In, this, in these uh, 11 verses, is he wants them to remember this gospel, and there's some specific things he wants to remember whenever they think of this gospel. First, if you're following along, he says, remember this gospel is foundational and of first importance in life. Remember this gospel is foundational and of first importance in life. Some of you have watched houses being built. This summer when I was on vacation in Wisconsin, there were a number of houses being built where I walked and I would just notice that the very first thing every builder does is lay the foundation. You really don't want to build anything unless you've got a good foundation. And so Paul says, look, when I tell you this gospel, you need to know this is foundational. This is of first importance. This isn't back burner. This is front burner. And if it gets back burner in your life, then it's not going to have the powerful effect it's meant to have in your life. So always keep it front burner of first importance in your life. Now, notice I said in life. I didn't just mean in church. When people hear the gospel phrase used sometimes, they go, well, that's really helpful in church. That's really helpful for church people. No, friends, what he's going to go on and say is, what I preached to you that day in Corinth, among all of your other friends who didn't necessarily even believe in God, is that what God has done in the gospel is foundational in life. So what is the gospel? If you're following along, here's part of a definition. The gospel is good news centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news centered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Some would say the gospel is a message. It's more than a message. It's a message about a person. It's actually the person is the good news and what he has done and who he is. And it's centered in Jesus Christ. And so when we uh, think about the gospel, we often think, oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's about Jesus. And we should. But when you're thinking about this, what I want you to see is that what if you take the gospel away from your life? What if you don't receive it? What if you don't build your life on it? Some of you have played Jenga. Our family has played this over the years. You take these wooden blocks, and if you've never played before, I'm going to show you here on YouTube. Uh, just here's a slow-mo of what happens when you take a foundational block away. Here we go. 
<laughs> you sucked at the button box. You, the hard part is done. <laughs> Paul is saying, just let that sink in. You take away the gospel out of your life. If that's not central in your life, if it's not foundational, you can't build a life because you have no hope. Death will end it. The fear of death will absolutely plague it. You cannot live without the foundational truth of the gospel. And so he says, remember that. Remember that this is the good news I preached to you, that God has a plan. And God has done it, and everything is centered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's done something in the world. Now notice the second thing he says is remember this gospel because it is historical fact happening 20 years before in our world. He says remember this gospel not only because it's foundational. Remember this gospel because it is historical. This is not make-believe. This is not fantasy. This isn't like some of the, the stories that people are telling in Greek myths. This actually happened. In space, in time, actual location, physical property, you can go to the address where it happened. Why is that important? Because if you want to have a real faith in a real world, it had to really happen. He says, if this hasn't really happened, then we're just warming our hearts with myths. But he says it's not. It's a historical fact. And notice that I said 20 years before in our world. From time to time, I know this gets passed around at college universities, and sometimes I hear people say this, is that the New Testament was written so long after the actual events, it's not reliable. Why? Because those people had already died. You can't check it. I want you to know 1 Corinthians was written in the middle 50s A.D., it was one of the first recorded documents we have of what the early Christians believed. And Paul now says what's been passed down through oral tradition repeatedly, not just by me, but by the other apostles, are these main planks of the gospel. And I want to remind you what they are because they actually happened. You don't have to apologize. So Paul was probably converted on the Damascus Road within a year or two after Jesus was, was, he was executed and rose again and ascended into heaven. When that happened, about 16 or 17 years after his conversion, he comes to Corinth with the good news of the gospel. He was there for a year and a half. He now has been away from Corinth for three and a half years since he helped plant a church there, and now he's writing to them all again within 20 years. Now, that's going to be important, and he's going to bring that up again later in this letter. But I just want you to know, when you read the New Testament, you don't have to apologize to anyone for how historically accurate it is and what it says about Jesus. These were people that actually had experienced that they could tell you this is history. Uh, back in 2013, Trish and I were out in Pennsylvania, and we decided to visit the Gettysburg uh, battlefield. It was just a week after the 150th anniversary, so most of the people had left that had been there for the celebration and the remembrance of that. But I thought to myself, you took a piece of ground outside a city in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, because something significant happened here. It's history. Why? Many believe that we would not be the 50 United States of America today 
if those days in July of 1863 had not occurred the way they did. And we believe that our world has no hope if what happened on the day that Jesus Christ died and the day he rose again did not happen. We believe they did happen. Paul is saying, don't forget that. So now, if you're following along, notice that he says there are four historic moments that are at the heart of the gospel that I preach to you and that the other apostles preach to you. There are four historic moments at the heart of the gospel. Now, some of you may notice that my outlining skills could do some work. Usually when you say one, two, three, then you don't say one, two, three, four under one of those numbers. I know that. I just didn't have little A's, B's, C's, and D's. So thank you for cutting me slack. But here they are. First, Christ died. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Now, let me say something about the word Christ. Christ is the Greek word that we have for the Hebrew word Messiah. Therefore, this is the title that was given to Jesus. Peter says, who do you say I am? Jesus said to the disciples one day, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You're the one the whole Old Testament prophesied would come. You're it. And here you are in a body standing right in front of me. You are the Christ. And this was the title he was given. Now I know sometimes people use Christ as a curse word, but it is an honored title. It was showing that God had a plan long before these events happened and he was unfolding it in Jesus Christ. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, he didn't just die. If he had just died, if his death was just for himself, it wouldn't change anything in our history. But the Bible says, just like the scriptures predicted would have to happen, Christ died that sacrificial, substitutionary death in our place, and his death was for our sins. Some of you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, I don't, what do you mean by sins? The Bible says all of us have disobeyed, have, all of us have rebelled, All of us have ignored God, and that is called sin. It separates us from God. It breaks the relationship, and all of us have that sin problem. But the Bible says instead of leaving us to the consequences of that, God did something in the person and the work of Jesus Christ to reverse that. And I'm so thankful that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. What a gift. Second, Christ was buried. Some of you will go, okay, like, why is that important? He was laid in a tomb, verifiably dead. Listen to what one writer says. If he was buried, he must have really been dead. If he was buried, the resurrection must have been the reanimation of a corpse. If he was buried and was subsequently seen alive outside his grave, the grave must have been empty and may well have been seen as empty And so I listed out to the right there how Jesus, when he was on the cross, the Roman soldier made sure, verified that he was dead before he was buried and taken down by Joseph Arimathea. But he was buried. And the truth is, so will you and I be one day if life takes the course it's going to take for most of us. So Jesus knows what it's like to die and to be buried. Third, notice this, is that Christ was raised He came back to life on the third day. Paul says you need to know that the gospel means that Christ has died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
Notice this, 1 Peter 3.18 is a precious verse. It tells us again why Christ died. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so when you think about this phrase used twice in this passage, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, I don't know if you have a high view of the scriptures, but the Bible says you cannot make sense of the New Testament without the Old Testament. God was doing something large. He was doing something big. And this story is unfolding, and you need to understand how significant it is. And so on the back of the message notes, if you turn there, you'll notice that I just put several of the possible passages that Jesus shared with his disciples that day, according to the scriptures, how he was the fulfillment, how he was the Christ, the Messiah, who had to die, who had to be buried, who had to be raised, according to the scriptures. Now, if you want to know just one of those passages, here it is. Isaiah 53. Look at what it says here in verses 5 and 6. Here, it talks about this was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus fulfilled it. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And then verse 9 tells us again about his burial. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, he was, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And then notice verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. So, four things. We come to the fourth thing. Not only did Christ die for our sins, was he buried, was raised, but Christ appeared. Christ appeared to many people, proving that he's alive now, Paul doesn't give an exhaustive list of who he all appeared to. You'll notice some people missing that he could have added. So his point isn't to be exhaustive, but his point is to name some specific witnesses. And also, notice that he lists witnesses like Peter and James, but also group. He appeared to groups, sometimes 10 or 12 people, sometimes over 500 people. Why is that significant? Because you cannot have a group hallucination. If, in fact, one person said it, that might be one thing. But there is many, many people. And here's where I want to come back to how close this was written after the actual events. Paul goes on to say that many of whom are still alive. As if to say, if you don't believe me, Go talk to some other people and see if this has any merit, any evidence. He also says, some have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection so transformed the way the Christians looked at death that they no longer called it death. They called it falling asleep because Jesus had referred to Lazarus that way and said, I'm going to raise him. And all Jesus did in that situation was miraculously resuscitate him. 
as a way of showing there's something even more powerful coming when I rise from the dead, and I will be the first of many who trust in me. I will do the same thing. I will give them a new and glorified body as well. The resurrection of the body is for real, and it all started because Jesus died, was buried, was raised, and he appeared. Now, Paul goes on to say, let me just mention a couple names, and he mentions Peter. If you had denied Jesus three times and you watched him die on the cross and you were never able to make that right before he died, would you want to see him and try and make that right? And Jesus gave Peter that opportunity. He appeared to Peter and that rerouted his life from hopelessness and discouragement to power and concern for other people. He also mentions James. James was a half-brother of Jesus. Eventually, he was a leader of the church. But if you read John 7, you'll see that Jesus' brothers, his half-brothers, didn't believe that he was the son of God. I'd probably have a hard time believing if my brother told me he was the son of God. <laughs> Andy Stanley has often said, what would it take for your brother to believe that you were the son of God? Probably rising from the dead. And that's what happened. And James was convinced that Jesus was alive, he was real, and he met him. And last, Peter, Paul says this, even after Jesus ascended into heaven, he made one more appearance to me. The biggest enemy of the church of God, he made himself known to me on a Damascus road. I was like one abnormally born. I was late in the game. I was a different story. And when I came to know Christ, I worked harder than them all to kind of make up for lost time, but is the grace of God in my life. And if you're following along, not only is the gospel foundational and historical, the gospel is personal. The gospel is personal and invites us into a larger life mission. Paul says this, I can talk about these historical facts all day, but when I preach these things to you, they came home. They became personal to you. It wasn't just a fact about Jesus. It was Jesus you met. And it wasn't because I was such a great preacher. It's because the gospel has so much power. It's because the gospel is God at work in human beings. And what happened that day when I preached to you in Corinth is remember how you received what I said. You took it to heart. You, you met Jesus yourself not necessarily the same way I did, but because Jesus is alive, you can meet him. Because Jesus is alive, he's not constricted by walls. He's not constricted by distance. He's not constricted because now in his glorified state, he can meet you right where you are. And just like he did for Peter and James and me, who didn't deserve to have him even appear to me or give me a moment of time, this gospel is personal, and it invites us into a larger mission. What do I mean by that? I would just be honest with you and tell you that for many years, I had a small understanding of the gospel. I thought the gospel was the good news that Jesus died so I could go to heaven and not to hell. And it certainly is good news like that. But the gospel is not just a message. The gospel is not just a person. The gospel is a calling. The gospel is a vocation. The gospel 
is a mission that God has for our lives now. This afternoon, I'm going to teach the membership class from 2 to 6, and we have about 30-some people signed up for that class. And I take the opportunity every time when I teach that class to say, you know that God didn't just make us for a love relationship with him. That he did. But he made us to do meaningful, purposeful work with him in this world. That's why he had Adam name the animals, and Adam and Eve to take care of the garden, to do that with God, to be good stewards, to be servants with him. And they, it took their best thinking and their best living to do that. It was very esteeming. Therefore, when I use the word vocation, that's Latin for a call or a summons. And Paul says, you need to know that when I met Jesus, he helped me understand that he wasn't just saving me so I wouldn't go to hell. He was saving me for a purpose, for a mission that isn't just for here on earth, but on into eternity. And therefore, when you believe the gospel, it became so personal that now your value system got changed. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? Part of his vocation and mission is for us to be part of the church. Why do I teach in the membership class? Because a lot of people say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I don't think the church has anything to do with it. No, being part of his body, his people in this world is part of our vocation. And as we learn to lock arms and serve Christ and steward the spiritual gifts he's given us in the world, now we live a larger story. Now we understand that the gospel is good news because it doesn't just take us to heaven. It teaches us how to live purposefully right here, right now, in whatever our circumstances are. Wherever job we go to, whatever family we're part of, whatever situation we're in, the gospel is good news embodied in human beings like you and me because Jesus died was buried, was raised, and he appeared. And he's coming back. And the plans he has are going to keep unfolding. His kingdom will never end. This is big. So as we think about this, he says, God's grace empowers us to live with new courage. God's grace empowers us to live with new courage. He says, look, I understand that part of what the gospel does is it helps us realize our unworthiness. It certainly hit me hard that way. It hit Peter that way. It hit James that way. And I know it hit you guys that way because you were idol worshipers. But God showed you that you didn't have to keep living foolishly like that, selfishly like that. He showed you that he could give you grace, not just to forgive your sin, but give you power to live a different way. And God's grace isn't just forgiveness. It's power. And he says, God's grace has been at work in me, with me, for by the grace of God, I am what I am, he says. It changed me. It rerouted my whole life. And he says, I, I know that's what I want for you. So please don't say there is no resurrection of the body. Because if that's the case, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You will die in your sins. There is no hope for you. But if he's been raised... You have a calling. You have a life to live. Now live it. Step into it. So as I close, I just want to mention that this letter is going to finish in verse 58. When I was in high school, I had some youth leaders that were really helpful at helping me take walking with Jesus more seriously. And they urged me to memorize different Bible verses. And one of them was verse 58. 
And I know that the other guys are going to be teaching on some of these verses I'm already quoting, so I'm not trying to steal their fire. But I just want to say this. You have to know that verse 58 ties to verse 2, where he repeats the phrase, not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Don't quit. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work and vocation and calling and mission of the Lord that he has for you because you know that in the Lord, your labor, everything you do in the Lord is not in vain, including a cup of cold water in his name. Not in vain. Not in vain. So as we respond to this gospel, let me just ask a couple questions. First, have I received and trusted Jesus and his saving work? If you're following along, have I received and trusted Jesus and his saving work? I know from time to time that some of you may come with a family member or a friend. You may do it to make them feel better, but maybe you're not there yet. And so when you hear this message today, you may say, what does this have to do with me? Everything. Jesus didn't just do it for Paul or Peter or James. He did it for you. You matter to him. And he wants you to hear this good news so that you can know Jesus and that you can meet him and your whole life can be rerouted and reprioritized. But have you received him? Can you point back to a time, an era, a day when you repented of going your own way and put your trust in Jesus Christ instead of yourself? I put a prayer on the back that if that would be of any interest to you, you can pray it. But here's what it says. And if you're ready to pray this along silently with me, I just ask you to affirm it in your heart. Lord, you've helped me see how foolish I've been to lean on my own understanding and goodness. Please forgive me. Jesus, I acknowledge that you had to die for my sin, be buried and be raised to life in order to bring me back into a restored relationship and partnership with you. Jesus, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead and I confess you as the Lord and leader of my life from this day on. Thank you for your grace to live this new life with you. Teach me how to rely on you and what the scriptures say about you. Amen. If you turn your notes back over, I know that some of you already believe. You've already received. But here's the big question. Have you done like I do sometimes and reduce the gospel and think it's just for unbelievers? then you and I need to grow in our understanding of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't just a message or a person, it's a life. It's an ongoing life. And so here's the question, am I continuing to trust Jesus and join him in his mission? Am I continuing to trust Jesus and join him in his mission? One of the things that's helped me continue is to meditate just on Jesus' cross or on his resurrection, or on his appearances, or on his whole purpose and plan. And there's times when I think about the humility, the humility of Jesus laying aside his robes and the glories of heaven and coming down and teaching us the way to God and then laying his back on a cross and dying in our place and even the words he said on the cross, 
Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He shows us how to treat our enemies differently. He shows us how to take care of our family differently, even on the cross, and make sure that we care about them. He shows us how to care about people far from God who don't have a prayer. They actually, all that they have is a prayer. And he answered it with a mighty yes. You and I can live differently because of the gospel. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.